Welcome back to the Spirits Guide Podcast. I am Rich, your guide through the intoxicating spirits world. And as always, I want to start out by thanking all of you guys who listen, comment, come in and see me. You know, just you guys are the energy and the lifeblood that keeps me doing this, you know, week after week, day after day. This podcast is something I always wanted to do, but I never knew if anybody would actually care what I was doing. And the fact that you guys care is what really keeps me honest and focused and wanting to push forward and be better with it and and do more. Now, this episode, you know, I fully admit is it's an embarrassment of riches. You know, I'm blessed by so many of you, you know, getting that great bottle and then for whatever reason somewhere in your brain you're like hey i want to share this with rich i I think rich would like to try this and you guys come and bring me samples and sometimes it's overwhelming because i get a lot of samples from i don't want to say a lot of people but you know i I know some good people who are always willing to bring me samples of stuff or bottles to try and sometimes when i get these samples you know, I bring them home and I don't want to leave them out on, on the bar. You know, I don't want to leave them out on the counter. Like I have to find a spot for them so they don't get knocked over, you know, because they're little 50 mLs. And so I put them in a, a cabinet. And sometimes they get lost in the shuffle and I forget that they're there. And, you know, sometimes they're really special things that I know are really special things. And so I don't just crack them to crack them. I'm, I'm waiting for the right moment. And, you know, as with anything in life, if you're always waiting for the right moment, the right moment is never going to happen. The right moment is now. It's here. It's what we've got. But unfortunately, we don't always live like that. And so, you know, these samples come in and sometimes they get into the cabinet and on the shelf and, you know, the doors close in the cabinet and I forget what's in there. And I go back about my day and my job and the podcast and all that. And then one day I was kind of going through my cabinet and realized like, oh, I've got this and then I've got this and then I've got this. And, you know, on this week, I was wondering, like, what am I going to do for this podcast? And then I had all these samples that formed my dream flight of whiskeys. And what we're about to taste is five, the last five sort of releases of the Parker's Heritage Collection from Heaven Hill. And... You know, people talk about, and I, I talk about it in the podcast, the body of it, of, you know, people say like, oh, I love Peppy 12. Yeah. And if you kill your bottle, maybe next year you can find another bottle of Peppy 12. Or you might have to wait the year later, or you might have to wait a couple of years, but you're going to get another pot, bottle of Peppy 12. When you taste a Parker's Heritage 2019 release and you love it and it's gone, that's it. It's over. That's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime, share-it-with-a-friend kind of moment because in 2020, the Parker's Heritage release is going to be a totally different whiskey. So in the podcast, we talk about, one, who Parker is, what these amazing whiskeys are named after. I talk about the different releases every year, and then I actually get to taste through the last five releases. It's just mind-blowing. You know, I can't believe that I actually get to do that. It's it's just mind-blowing. So, and I thank you guys probably, you know, a hundred times during the, the body of the, the podcast. And I'm going to thank you one more time because this podcast, not only as a concept and going forward and in what it's been so far, wouldn't be possible without you guys. But this episode in particular... There's no way this could have happened without just the kindness that is the amazing people that I get to meet in in the spirits world. So hope you guys enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording it. And if you like what's going on here, please join the family. Go to the podcast page on Spotify. Follow the podcast. Give it a rating. It's what helps to populate when other people are searching for podcasts like this. Share it. You know, if you have a friend who drives a lot, you know, and, you know, they're always looking for new podcasts to listen to, let them know about this. 
share it out. Let's grow this family and, and let's get more people in on this journey. Follow on Instagram and Facebook where you guys can leave reviews and comments about the podcast. And I'm always posting things about what I'm drinking, maybe what I'm reading, you know, music that I'm listening to, whatever it is that I'm doing while I'm consuming spirits. Um, and then if you've got, you know, a sample that you're curious as to my opinion of, if there's something I taste here on the, the podcast that you're like, hey, that sounds great. I'd love to try that myself. You're over 21, you're in the area. I will be more than happy to share anything from my personal collection with you. If you have an idea for a show, or if you just want to come here, sit with me, geek out about music, movies, TV, books, whatever, and drink some cool spirits, email me at the spiritsguide89 at gmail.com. I'll get right back to you. All right, enjoy the episode, guys. And again, thank you so much not only for listening, but for providing me with these samples that allowed me to have this most amazing flight of a lifetime. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers. And we're live. I'm saying that like I'm on the Wachusett podcast page. So, uh, hey, guys. Welcome back, Spirits Guide. Oh man, what what a thing I am about to embark on. Tonight's episode, today's episode, whenever it is you're listening to this. This is this is one of those embarrassment of riches. Uh this is something that I couldn't have done without so many of you out there just being kind and generous to me. I have in front of me a dream flight of whiskeys. Now, when people think of dream flights, they probably think of pappies or, you know, something like that. To me, a dream flight would be a vertical of birthday bourbon, uh, you know, maybe some Michter's bottlings in a dream flight. But what I've got here... This to me is kind of the ultimate because of the stylist changes that happen from year to year. I have five Parker's Heritage samples sitting here in front of me uh, going back 2021, 2020, 2019, 2018, and 2017. What I've got in front of me, the 17 is an 11-year single-barrel bourbon. The 18 was the orange curacao finish. Uh, and then 19, 20, and 21 are the heavy chars. Uh, 2019's release was the heavy char rye. 2020 was the heavy char bourbon. And 2021 was the heavily charred wheat. This comes together in a weird kind of accidental way. And again, I thank all of you guys out there because... These are all things that you guys have shared with me. And, you know, sometimes you get a sample and it's something really nice like this. And I, I get home and I don't want to just pour it, you know, sitting by myself, whatever. Like, I, I want to do it in a way that I'm going to kind of appreciate and be able to take in the moment of tasting that bourbon. So I have a little cabinet where I put samples in that, you know, either I get from vendors or I get from you guys. That way, they're not all you know. They're not all sitting all over the counter. I just kind of put them away, and you know, I I was kind of going through this whole week of not knowing what I was going to do for this episode. I was just kind of poking through the samples, and I pulled out like, oh, that's right, I've got a, a Parker's Rye, and then I pulled out another sample, and then another sample, and I realized that I had these five Parker's Heritage samples from the last five releases that I didn't even know I had. And there it is. The light went on the embarrassment of riches, but this is an absolute dream flight for me. Um, and I know it's redundant, but I'll say it again. I, I thank you guys because you guys are really the ones who made this possible for me. You know, this kind of 
combines our Monday night sample size, our Tuesday night tastings, and now we're doing Friday night flights. Uh, yeah, this is amazing. But before we get into the tasting, I just want to talk a little bit about what this brand is, what it means, because you guys know me. I, you know, I always go into it thinking it's going to be one thing. I get into a little bit of a rabbit hole and find out that there is something so much more to this uh, than I ever even thought or could conceive was possible. So first of all, Parker's Heritage is named after Parker Beam. And for any of you who don't know the real history of whiskey making in Kentucky, they say at one time there was a beam working at every distillery. And again, this kind of goes back to like, well, why is Jim Beam White Label so cheap? It's not cheap. It's inexpensive. And this is a family that's been making whiskey for generations. I think they're on seven or eight now at Jim Beam itself. But then you've got Limestone Branch Distillery where Stephen Beam is. And there's been a beam at kind of every distillery at, at, in Kentucky. And Parker is... Here's Parker's lineage. <clears throat> Parker Beam is named after his father, who was Park Beam, who was one of the beams in the Jim Beam sort of legacy of master distillers. Parker was Jim Beam's actual brother. So Parker Beam is Jim Beam himself's grand nephew. Now, Parker started at Heaven Hill as a distiller working for his dad, Earl, in 1960. 1975, the role of master distiller passed from father to son. And in 1975, Parker Beam took over the helm at uh, Heaven Hill. And this is just the way things were back then. You know, you look at Wild Turkey, Jimmy and Eddie Russell, the Beam legacy at Maker's Mark, the Samuels legacy, these old school the guys who have been doing it for a long time, that's how it worked. You know, as the, the son, you might have gone away to college um, like Freddie No did and then came back and, and worked for Booker. I believe Eddie did the same thing with, you know, working at Wild Turkey and he did some schooling and then came back and worked for Jimmy. So this is just sort of the way things work down there. And if you haven't been to Kentucky yet, especially now with things sort of easing up a lot. Um, if you're a bourbon fan and you haven't been to Kentucky, you've got to go. It's a different way of life. They're a different type of folk. They are friendly. They are nice. They are passionate about their whiskey and they love talking about it. And what you find when you go down there is they all know each other. Um, you know, I remember being on the tour at Buffalo Trace and them saying, well, where are you going next? Said, oh, I think we're going to Four Roses. Hey, say hello to Tom. You know, he's a great tour guide. So they all knew each other. They're, they all think of each other as family. Yes, there's a friendly competition, um, but it's just a whole different world down there. And really, the the Beam family is kind of like, you know, bourbon royalty. They're the, I don't want to compare on a, a moralistic view, but they're the, the Kennedys. They're the first family of of bourbon in this country. So Parker Beam takes over the helm at Heaven Hill in 1975. He is responsible for making Evan Williams. He's responsible for creating Elijah Craig as the first premium small batch bourbon. He gets inducted into the inaugural bourbon hall of fame class in 2001. And in 2015, he gets the first Bourbon Hall of Fame Lifetime Achievement Award. To this day, as far as my research shows, there are five people in the Hall of Fame who have also been given Lifetime Achievement Awards. Parker Beam, Bill Samuels from Maker's Mark, Jimmy Russell from Wild Turkey, Max Shapira, who is the, the family that owns Heaven Hill, and Evan Kulvsveen, I probably crucified that name, uh, was the most recent one inducted in 2019. 
So there's been nobody given a lifetime achievement award in three years. And there's only been five. So, and that's pretty amazing company, by the way, Evan Kulsveen is from Willet Distillery. Um, I feel like Parker and Jimmy Russell were like the two most important master distillers in the history of bourbon, along with Elmer T. Lee over at Buffalo Trace. And those are the three guys who are really credited with starting the bourbon revival. Um, you know, we think of it as the last 10 years, but those guys were working on it well ahead of that, you know, and kind of were the, the seedlings for where we are now. Now, when Parker, his son came to work for him, what I found kind of interesting and touching and something that I had no idea about when it comes to these whiskeys and Parker Beam, uh, Parker was diagnosed with ALS. Uh, and he fought it for years in his life. This is also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. So Parker's Heritage, which debuted in, I think, 2006. Uh, you can trace back the bottlings to 07, you know, and every bottling is a little different. But to date, $10 from every bottle sold of Parker's Heritage goes to ALS Charities, uh, research and whatever. And to date, you know, sales of Parker's heritage collection have donated over a million dollars to ALS Lou Gehrig's, um, disease research. And it really was created to be a super premium whiskey, you know, initially kind of brought out to highlight some of this great juice that heaven Hill had. And again, you know, we talk about Heaven Hill and people think of, you know, Evan Williams and why is that so cheap? These guys have been making whiskey forever. You know, their bills are paid. They have their own juice. They're making whiskey that they're selling to other people who are sourcing juice from them. Just a long sort of track record. And this was created to be their, their super premium release. And every year it's a little different release which is what I find interesting and kind of, I guess what I'm going to enjoy about this tasting because there are five whiskeys, but you're not tasting how they're different every year because you're tasting five different expressions um, that are there to represent Parker beam. So going back to 07, the first release that I can track down, I'm not sure what that 06 release was, but in 07, it was a cask strength bourbon in 08. It was a 27 year bourbon. My goodness, if we could get our hands on any of that. Uh, 09 was something called the Golden Anniversary. In 2010, it was a weeded bourbon. And I guess I'll stop there for a second and kind of talk about basically the four, maybe five major mash bills that Heaven Hill uses. They have a bourbon mash bill, which is the same mash bill they use for Evan Williams, Elijah Craig. They have a weeded mash bill, which is the same mash bill that they use for Larceny and Old Fitzgerald. They have a wheat mash bill, which is the mash bill for Bernheim. And they have their rye mash bill, which is what they use for Rittenhouse, Elijah Craig Rye, Pikesville. <clears throat> and then apparently they also have a malt whiskey mash bill, not to be confused with single malt. It's not 100% malted barley. It's, but it's all malted grain. So 2011 was a cognac finished bourbon. Uh, 2012 was a blend of different whiskey mash bills. 2013 was something called the promise of hope. I don't know much about that. Um, 2014 was the original wheat whiskey. 2015 was that malt whiskey. Uh, 2016. This is the one that if any of you guys out there have this in your collection, pretty much name your price for a, a 25 milliliter sample pour off of that. This is the one out of all of them that I want to try. And the 2016 release was a 24 year bottled in bond bourbon. I 
cannot even imagine how amazing that would taste. Um, 2017 was an 11-year single-barrel bourbon. 2018 was the orange Curacao finish. 2019 starts the Heavy Char series. Uh, The rye, 2020, is the bourbon. And 2021 is the wheat. All right. There's enough on the backstory. I want to get me to tasting some whiskey. So I have the proof points for all these two, and I'm going to kind of choose my glasses accordingly based on the proof points. Although they're pretty, they're all kind of up there as far as proof points go. So I have, and you guys who've been in the store know that I have these kind of Glen can, but they're really wide at the base. They're actually old uh, Glenlivet glasses that I pulled out of gift sets at the store. And they work fantastic. Usually those gift sets have really shitty glasses in them. Not these. These are solid. They're the ones that Corey and I use, you know, when we're tasting on the Wachusett Wine and Spirits Whiskey page. By the way, shout out to Corey. Uh, moving on to bigger and better ventures in his life. Um, I will sorely, sorely miss him, but hopefully we'll get him over here at some point soon on the Spirits Guide podcast. So... The first one I'm going, and I'm going in years of succession, 2017, 11-year single-barrel bourbon bottled at 122 proof. The bourbon mash bill, which I think sometimes we get too wrapped up in mash bills and age statements and, you know, think we know more about the whiskey than we actually do. But I digress. So these barrels were all aged on the sixth floor of the warehouse. And I don't know how many single barrel bourbons that they put out. Single barrel, by the way, doesn't necessarily mean barrel proof. So I'm sure some of those barrels differed in proof and they probably watered them down to consistency. They didn't blend them. You know, there was a bunch of different single barrels. So 11 year single barrel bourbon. On the nose, I mean, it smells like everything you want bourbon to smell like. Mm. I mean, that's beautiful. So much vanilla, caramel. A little water to chase that down, add some flavor. The oak is really, really toasty. You know, it's not it's not smoky, but it's and it's not quite cedar box, but it's big, toasty. Yeah, I mean that's everything you want a special bottle of bourbon to be. And the oak influence is really, really present on that one. Yeah. Wow, that's delicious. Mm. All right. Man, these are the kind of samples that you don't you don't want to finish the whole sample because you, you figured that the bottle that was poured off of a few years back, like that bottle's got to be gone. And these are irreplaceable things. And it's not like, it's not like when you have a, a lot B, you know, Pappy 12 and you can finish it. And the next year you can go get a lot B, Pappy 12. Parker's, you know, 2017, 11 year single barrel bourbon. You can't recreate this. They're not making it again. These are, these are true specialty one time only releases that, you know, Unless somebody's sitting on it in their library. And by the way, a lot of these bottles do go for auction. They auction these off, again, to raise money for ALS. So if you're out there and you're a flipper and you have your hands on these bottles, don't be a piece of shit and jack it up. If you're going to sell it, if you're not going to do what this whiskey was meant to be done with, which is share it with friends, which is drink it and enjoy something special, Enjoy the 
innovation and the creativity of the Beam family and the Heaven Hill whiskeys, if that's not your intent with these whiskeys and your intent is just to make money, sell it to somebody who's going to raffle it off for ALS and let them make some money for the charity. Because other than it being meant to be enjoyed and shared with friends, its secondary purpose is to raise money and awareness for just an awful, awful disease, which is ultimately what Parker would pass away from was ALS. All right. Moving on to 2018 Parker's heritage. And I want to say, I feel like a lot of these samples came from, from my friend, Jason, um, who I know is a big Parker's nut. So, it wouldn't actually surprise me if they all came from from Jay. Thank you so much, Jay. I know at least a few of these did. So 2018, this is kind of the polarizing one in the collection that people either love or, or hate. And it's the orange Curacao barrel finish. Here's what I can tell you about the orange Curacao. It's a blend of seven and eight year bourbons that were all aged on the top floors of the Rick House, bottled at 110 proof. Uh, they filled 200 orange curacao barrels and finished the whiskey in there for an additional four months. So if it had an age statement on it, it would have to be seven because that's the youngest uh, bourbon in the blend. But I don't believe there was an age statement on it. And, you know, I don't have the bottles in front of me. These are all, you know, 50 ml samples, but the bottles are very cool. They're very stylish. They're very elegant. Um, these whiskeys are obviously not cheap. You know, some of them were 90 bucks when they came out. Now they're, you know, 150 with, you know, inflation and, and as things have gone on. But to me, they're special. Every one of them is worth the money. And now, especially knowing that some of that money is going to an actual charitable cause, which is, you know, something that was obviously an unfortunate part of Parker Beam's life. And he was always hoping for a cure within his lifetime. This is his legacy. So if I'm paying maybe $20 more than it's worth and half of that is going to ALS research, that's a balance. I'll take that all day long makes every one of these bottles worth the purchase just for that aspect. So orange curacao, by the way, it's a, it's an orange flavored liqueur. It's, it's a key ingredient in actual Mai Tais. You know, they harvest these citrus fruits in I believe the Caribbean and they harvest them before they're ripe because they have a little bit more orange flavor. Um, they're a little bit more intense and less sugar there as well. All right, here we go. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really tasty. That orange comes through on the back end, and it's a really cool sort of orange finish. Because I think sometimes we think orange in like this sort of sweet, and the the new Jameson orange is, oh, it's so terrible. There's there's no whiskey character. And I mean, not that Irish whiskey has a ton of depth of flavor as it is, but that Jameson orange tastes like, you know, triple sec almost. It's so sweet and orange. And the Jim Beam orange, which is a guilty kind of pleasure because at least it still retains some whiskey flavor. But it's still got a, a fair amount of sweetness to it. Orange Curacao is kind of dry. And sometimes people will come in the store and go like, you know, why would you use Orange Curacao as opposed to Cointreau or Triple Sec or Grand Marnier? And they're all very different. You know, Grand Marnier is an orange liqueur that's, you know, blended with cognac. So you're getting some of that influence. Cointreau is just straight sweet orange liqueur. 
but it's up in proof. Triple sec is kind of like Quantro, but it's really low in proof. And um, Curacao is fairly dry. It, it drinks more like an, a spirit and less like a cordial, which is why it goes so great um, in my ties. I'm going to have one more sip of this. Mm. So far on the dream flight, we are two for two. All right. I'm going to take a quick break here. Have a glass of water. And when I come back, no more story times. We're just tasting through three. What I hope and assume will be great, great whiskeys. All right. Take a break. We'll talk to you in a second. All right, we're back, and, you know, I promise no story time, I know, but, you know, you guys know me by now. i got to run my mouth a little bit. These whiskeys, the Parker's Heritage, you know, they're coming out of Heaven Hill, and I feel like, I feel like people give a lot of shit to Evan Williams and Jim Beam. You know, they're inexpensive whiskeys. Jim Beam White Label is fantastic. Jim Beam Black is just one of the more incredible values for the money. And Evan Williams Black Label, that should be in, you know, every bar should have that as their well bourbon because it's really good and it's really inexpensive. But then you get to the 1783 small batch. That whiskey's fantastic. The Evan Williams Bottled and Bond, Seriously, one of the the biggest gems in in bourbon that you know bourbon pretentious douchey snobby people kind of frown upon. But those of us who actually like bourbon for the drinking purpose and not for the status purpose know how phenomenal uh, bottled and bond is. Evan Williams single barrel, I have put next to Blantons and blind tastings and crushed Blantons. Now, it is sad, and you guys may be hearing it here first, but Evan Williams Single Barrel is being discontinued on a distribution level. It will be a distillery-only product uh, by the end of this year. So if you see it out there in the wild, grab some Evan Williams Black uh, Single Barrel. That's just the Evan Williams line of what we can get in America. There's an Evan Williams 12 that's only available overseas. There's a Blender Select. There's a, an older one that are mind-blowingly good. Then you get into Elijah Craig. And Elijah Craig, small batch, 94 proof, around 35 bucks a bottle, amazing whiskey. Then you get into Elijah Craig toasted barrels, uh, you know, limited release. Elijah Craig barrel proof. Uh, the Elijah Craig store pick we just did, unbelievable. Then you get into Larceny and Larceny barrel proof. And you get into Rittenhouse Rye, uh, can we not forget Mellowcorn, which is a whiskey geek's just dream whiskey. We love it. It's under 20 bucks. It's bottled in bond. It's got the ugliest old label that makes it the coolest old label. Uh, Bernheim Wheat Whiskey. We're talking all these incredible whiskeys. By the way, Elijah Craig Rye now. And that's just the everyday stuff, you know, and then you get into the old Fitzes and the amount of incredible whiskey from affordable everyday bottles to high-end bottles, why people don't, I, I don't get why people don't rave more about just how amazing Heaven Hill is as a distillery. And it almost reminds me of like when people used to shit on Budweiser and like, ah, oh, Budweiser's crap beer. Like, no, it's actually true to the style it is it tastes exactly the way it's supposed to taste and you know fathom this for the millions and millions and millions of cans of Budweiser that are made all over the world because you know they don't all come out of the same brewery every one of those cans tastes exactly alike it's a great value for the money the beer is well made it's solid and it is consistent that is just a testament to somebody's leadership and when you look at evan williams like 
how many millions and millions of nips, 750s, liters, 1.75s of just the black label that are out there. That whiskey is always consistent. They're making a fucking ton of it. And it's delicious. You know, I feel like, and I've said this plenty of times before, if Heaven Hill invested as much money into hype and marketing as Buffalo Trace did, we'd be talking about them as maybe the number two statured distillery. You know, right now I feel like Buffalo Trace is, you know, the pinnacle of the hype machine. But when you look at it overall, the number one whiskey in the world, the number one bourbon in the world, Jim Beam White Label. The number two bourbon in the world, Evan Williams Black Label. So for all the hype that goes into Buffalo Trace, Jim Beam and and Evan Williams are selling more than them. Maybe it's because they make more of it available. I don't know. Maybe they just want to make good whiskey for good people in an affordable fashion so you can drink it all the time. I don't know. Just a thought. Back to my flight after I digress. We are now up to the heavy charred. I guess it's a, it was a series for the last few years. You know, these barrels, Parker Beam's son called over to, uh, I forget the name of the Cooperage, but he kind of put in a special order, I want to say around 2008. And he called the Cooperage, and I, I read somewhere that Heaven Hill actually still has the email that he sent to them. And it kind of went like this. Hey, I want to custom order some barrels. I want you to cook the shit out of them. Heavy char. Char number five. It's kind of known as alligator char. Now, what does that do? What is the difference? Chars work on a one to five scale. So, you know, a number one char, they might burn the inside of the barrel for about 15 seconds. Char number five, and I've seen these flames. These are, you know, flames that just torch things, you know. At a number five char, they're letting that flame run. I don't know what the temperature is of it. I'm sure you can look it up for a minute and a half what they call an alligator char. Now, when you char the barrel that heavily and you think about it, you know, you're burning it. It's so it's got deeper pockets because you've actually burnt off some of the wood on the inside. What that allows the distillate to do is it allows it to get deeper into the wood. If you think about it, they call it alligator char because it kind of looks like alligator skin. It's all kind of crackled and charcoaled on the inside of the barrel. It's allowing that whiskey to get deeper into the wood you're getting more of the wood influence in it (sighs) these last three i know i have not had so this is a totally i don't first time i'm excited to dig in and you know disappointed that it took me so long to get here and yet excited that all these things managed to slip through my cracks to where I had the whole kind of collection by accident. So 2019, heavily charred rye whiskey. The mash bill that they're using for rye, they're using that barely legal 51% rye, 35% corn, 14% barley. It's an eight-year rye, and you don't see a lot of that on the market either. Um, A lot of ryes are younger than that. So eight years In a heavily charred barrel, bottled at 105 proof, and there are only there were 75 barrels blended together to for this. So, in true Parker Beam fashion, this is a small batch whiskey. Yeah, on the nose, great rye spice. You know, and I'm as much as I'm, I'm. tasting lately and i i never i'm nothing against source whiskey the the juice is good (laughs) it's funny and i'm sorry i keep going off on these sort of little i digress tangents but you know i had a a customer the other day asked me about a couple of different whiskeys and i said well you know this one is sourced from mgp and this one is their own juice and he selected that based on the fact that 
one was their own juice. Now, I love the fact that places are making their own whiskey because you get a sense of the personality of the master distiller and the vision that they have, as opposed to buying something that's already made by somebody else. And there's different layers to that. Um, you know, we talked about recently, what whiskey were we tasting? Oh, uh, The Wiseman by Kentucky Owl and how they're having their whiskey contract distilled by Bardstown Bourbon Company. That's a little different than going in and finding something that's already eight years old, tasting it and buying it that somebody else made. It's different when they're contract distilling it. So there's a couple different levels of, of sourcing there. And there's nothing wrong with going to MGP and, you know, they're the masters of the 95.5 rye mash bill. And there's a lot of great stuff. And a lot of those things, sometimes people pick up dill. I tend to pick up spearmint and chocolate. But it's nice to have a rye that's not 95.5. That's a different sort of flavor profile for rye. And some people think of it as barely legal. I also feel like rye is a polarizing category anyways. Some people, you know, either love rye or hate rye, kind of like they do with weeded whiskeys. I don't know. People, just be a whiskey drinker. Go on a journey. Have an adventure. Try all different styles. Um, just because you had one rye that you didn't like doesn't mean you can't like the rest of them. Again, digression. Bring it back. So here we go. Heavily charred Parker's Heritage Rye 2019 release. Hmm. Now, the first thing I'm going to say, and I swear to you guys, I've never had this. And, you know, I'm ashamed to admit that I haven't. Wow. The rye on this, it's got all that, you know, typical rye spice, but there's a ton of like, like green apple. The oak, I was actually expecting it to be overly oaky, like some sort of crazy oak bomb. That's not it at all. The oak is there. It's made for a very mellow spirit. You know, after eight years, like that rye spice is still big and bold. I have tasted a bunch of fantastic rye this week, but this one may not only be the best rye I've tasted this week, this may be the best rye I've ever tasted. That is that is fantastic. Now, I know it may seem unfair that we're going through this, and it's not like you can just go out to your local retailer and find a, a 2019 Parker's Heritage release. And if you do find it out in the wild at, you know, a reasonable cost, probably don't tell anybody because, you know, that store will just get inundated with hunters and whatever. But if you do find these out there, if you happen to be in a bar, and I know sometimes whiskey bars do keep libraries of this stuff. So, you know, you might be in a bar in Kentucky where you might be able to get a pour of this. If you see it out there in the wild, I am telling you, go after this. All right. We have progressed up into 2020 Parker's 10-year heavily charred bourbon. So again, a couple of things going on here. It's a 10-year-old bourbon, heavy charred. So it's got that number five burnt to a crisp bourbon, uh, burnt to a crisp wood, deeper uh, distillate contact. Uh, where are my notes? 102 barrels that went into this. This is bottled at 120. So for that higher proof point, I'm actually going to go with the Norlands glass on this. Um, I don't want the heat of my hands heating up the liquid because it's just going to bring out more of the alcohol vapors. And I want a wider mouth because I want some of those vapors to get out so I can get in there and give this a nice, good, healthy nosing. Because really, I don't... 
I, I was going to say, like, I don't get to taste this stuff much, but I feel like most people don't get to taste this stuff much because there aren't very many heavily charred 10-year-old bourbons out there in general. It's one of the only ones I've seen, so. Oh, yeah. Bottled, like I said, 120 proof, 102 barrels. The bourbon mash bill, 78% corn, 10% rye, 12% malted barley. Yeah, it's everything on the nose you would expect. I'm kind of curious, you know, I obviously didn't pour all my sample out. I kind of want to go back and taste this against the 11-year single barrel. Maybe we'll do that at the end if we got a little bit of time. Mm. Now, you know, what I love, and again, I'm going to go on another little digression here, but I, I love when you get to meet people and you get to know something about them that is maybe not unique to them, but is definitely them. And getting to meet you guys over the years, you know, the last three, four years at the store and through, you know, Instagram and, and Facebook and you guys reaching out, it, there are certain things that stick. And I know that Jay, if you're out there, listen, I know you have a thing for those big oaky whiskeys. And I do as well. I mean, I love them. I, I love them all. This, I feel like, is right in that wheelhouse. If you like that big kind of oak bomb, the the wood on this is amazing, but it's not overpowering. Um, Peter Thomas and I always talk about balance, the integration of flavors of, you know, the proof point and the oak and the distillate. Everything comes together harmoniously in here. This doesn't drink like it's 120. I just had to look down at my notes and I happened to catch that it's 120 proof. I already forgot about that because it doesn't drink like it's 120. There's a sweetness to it, much like the barrel pick that I just did. But the oak is so much more present that it balances the sweetness and the proof point just kind of melts right into the middle of it. That is amazing. Wow. It's it's pretty fun to, I guess, taste four whiskeys in a row that are all under the same branded label, and yet they're all amazing. All right. We're down to the final, final whiskey in my Parker's Heritage Dream Flight. And this is Parker's Wheat Whiskey Heavy Char. And, you know, I, I hear people kind of talk about wheat whiskeys, and I've had, you know, friends bring in wheat whiskeys, and they go, oh, th this is a weeder. And I, I feel like, you know, there's no official sort of language classification. But to me, a weeder is a maker's mark. It's a larceny. It's a Weller. It's a Rebel, you know, Rebel 100. Those are whiskeys that are bourbons. So the predominant grain is corn. But instead of using rye, they use wheat as the flavoring grain. A wheat whiskey. I just had a family guy moment there. Will Wheaton. <laughs> um, a wheat whiskey, as opposed to a wheater or wheat ed whiskey, wheat whiskey is predominantly wheat. And this post prohibition was the first new classification of whiskey uh, in America. So, wheat whiskey in the mash bill for this 51% wheat, 37% corn, 12% barley. No rye at all. This is the same mash bill that they use for Bernheim, which 
I'm just going to come right out and say it, is a grossly, grossly overlooked whiskey. Seven-year, small-batch, wheat whiskey for like 32 bucks on the shelf. Why more people are not grabbing that beyond me? And I have, again, I have dear friends who go out and they're like, I found this whiskey. It's a wheat whiskey, you know, and they bring it into me to sample. And I go like, I get you. So I love the sense of adventure and you find a wheat whiskey from, you know, different distilleries all over the place. And yet we're always overlooking Bernheim, which is the original. It's the first official wheat whiskey in this country. And yet we're, you know, we're, we're kind of going outside our, our backyard and, Bernheim is right there. It's affordable. It's amazing. I just kind of want to show it some love. And it, it reminds me because in my head, I can picture where it is on the shelf in my store. And right below that is the Mellow Corn, Corn Whiskey, which is another mash bill that Heaven Hill makes. You know, I mentioned the bourbon mash bill, the rye mash bill, um, the malt whiskey mash bill the weeded mash bill they also have a corn whiskey which means it has to be at least 80 percent corn in the mash bill so i just one more amazing thing that heaven hill is doing i'm just loaded with digressions today all right so here we are 2021's release this is last year's release heavily charred wheat whiskey bottled at 122 proof so again, I'm using a Norlands glass. I have multiple glasses, so I have a clean Norlands glass. I'm not using flavor from the previous whiskey. Um, 75 barrels went into this. So 75 barrels blended together, aged on the sixth floor of the warehouse. So you're talking, again, high floor, high elevation. I'm really excited for this. Mm. The sweetness, the vanilla, the cocoa powder, the nuttiness, the toastiness of the oak. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's special. That's unique. Man, and the sweetness on the finish just, it just lingers. I can't thank you guys enough for sharing these samples. I mean, this really is like, when do you ever get to sit down and just taste five whiskeys and each one is better than the last one and they're just, wow. All right, we've got a little bit of time because I'm I'm looking at my timer and we can we can do this we can we can push. So I just mentioned a minute ago that I wanted to do a side by side comparison of the heavily charred ten year bourbon against the seventeen uh, the two thousand seventeen eleven year single barrel bourbon. All right. Oh, man. There's going to be so many glasses to wash when this is over. But, hey, it's worth it. You guys are amazing. All right. So, comparatively speaking, I just have, like, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm recording this and I'm by myself in the studio and you know, I'm touched and humbled that you guys share this stuff with me. And it it really just sort of hit me that, like, I'm getting to do this because I know amazing humans. Um, by no means do I think I'm anything important or special. But fucking Fred Minnick gets to do this because people send him things because he's an influencer. I get to do this because I've got to meet and connect with just amazing people people you know who have great stuff who think that highly of me and my opinion that for whatever reason you guys feel compelled to share this stuff with me and 
yeah, it's it's almost a bit overwhelming in this moment um, that I get to do this because you guys are amazing. All right. So I guess I kind of feel like a football announcer now on the radio. Like I have to give the whole visual. So directly in front of me, right underneath the microphone, I have two Glenn Cairn glasses on the left. I have the 2017 11-year single-barrel bourbon. And then right next to that, I have the 2020 heavy char bourbon, which is 10 years. So a year's difference, the 2017 is a year older, but the 2020 is in a heavy char barrel. So the first thing I'm going to look at when we analyze whiskey is the color. And yeah, I mean, they almost balance out. Because you're getting a year more of age on the single barrel, but the 10-year is in a heavy char. So they're pretty similar in color. I kind of feel like they, they've kind of worked themselves out there. Now, the, the 2020 10-year heavy char, definitely a bigger nose. I'm excited to dive into this because there it's and it shows so many things because, you know, you're talking you know, single barrel, you know, 11 year, 122 proof, heavy char, 120 proof, 10 year. But all the same mash bill, all the same base juice going in. All right, so that 2017, everything you want from bourbon, it's kind of up there with like on that Calumet 15 kind of vibe of just all those classic bourbon flavors, rich, sweet, dark. All right. In that 2020 heavy char, it's a bit more, it's a bit more mellow. You really get, and I know this is kind of a, I feel kind of douche and pretentious and, and kind of dickish to say this, but if you're out there and you have the 2017 and the 2020, really taste them side by side and I feel like I just learned a lifetime of knowledge in the difference between like a, a number three char and a number five char influence on that barrel. Because, I mean, there's a year's difference. There's two proof point differences, but it really is the difference of that heavy char as opposed to the number three char. They're both amazing, but my God, that heavy char bourbon the way it mellows it out, the way it softens it. It's, I, I wish I knew a better way to articulate this. It, there's no harshness to it at all. I, I, yeah, I'm not even going to say the word smooth, but it's a little bit bigger. It's a little bit bolder, no rough edges. It's just, if I had to pick one or the other, it's definitely the heavy char without a doubt. But you know what's great? You should never have to pick. They can just be a bunch of great whiskey, and nothing has to be the best. Yeah, wow. This was amazing. And, yeah, again, I couldn't have done this without you guys out there. Thank you guys so much for giving me the opportunity. And not only giving me the opportunity to do this, but then indulging me drinking it and and kind of being there for the the ride and the listen. All right, I'm going to wrap it there. I'm going to be honest with you guys. When I cut the recording, I'm going to finish the rest of these samples because they're all fantastic. Thank you guys again. You know what? 
All right, I'm going to just sort of blend <laughs> the two of those samples together for one final quick, quick tasting. Oh, yeah, that's the sweet spot. You blend the 10-year heavy char with the 11-year number three char. Fantastic. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap it. Thank you guys so much for being here. Um, you know, I, I know it, it gets redundant, but you guys really do mean the world to me, and I couldn't do this without you. And if you guys weren't out there listening, paying attention, reacting, commenting, coming in, and telling me about things you've heard here, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. So thank you guys again. This has been amazing, and I will talk to you all soon. Cheers. Yay!